Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Saka! Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. Feels goodly, doesn't it? Does feel goodly. Can I read a, can I read a text, a slight, uh, a little snippet of a text that you sent me yesterday? Would that be okay? <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Oh, God knows what it's going to be. Uh, it's not the other one. It's not that sexy one, don't worry. Okay, thank oh, goodness. Good, good, good. Because uh, it's hard to read a picture, to be fair. <laughs> and what a picture. Holy moly. <laughs> if only people could see. Um, anyway, uh, just it's, it's four simple words. I was a wreck. <laughs> I really was. After, you know, coming on here last week and being like, actually, I uh, I watched the Manchester United game on delay. I knew the score. It was so relaxing. None of the players were nervous. I wasn't nervous. I don't know what you're all worried about. Um, <laughs> things really came around for me this week watching on my sofa, which I, I increasingly, I believe, actually that watching through a television is more anxiety-inducing than being in a stadium. Oh, I really I agree. am coming around to that perspective. I agree. I agree. There's something about the live experience where, I don't know, you're caught up in what's going on, whereas... Yeah, maybe you have the illusion of agency. There's probably more alcohol involved. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, on my sofa, I was, uh, I think, like, physically reacting to the game like i think i was sort of nearly shaking at points in the game i i was uh, i was sweating like my palms yeah. it's a cliche to say but like i was doing the live blog and i was like oh sweaty palms here and i, I was literally wringing my hands i was like <laughs> oh that's where that comes from <laughs> uh, and they were all uh yeah they were unpleasantly moist and mm. by the last five minutes um, I was sort of pacing around the room, really, by yeah. stoppage time. Did, did you see the video of um, 
uh, Rog Bennett from uh, Roger Bennett from Men in Blazers. No, he was. <laughs> he's an Everton fan, so they had like a camera. Uh, on I him. haven't watched it. I've seen it on social media. Is it worth a watch? <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Like you know, because uh, they're one nil up over Chelsea, and he's pacing around his room, and he's he's shouting at the TV. He's standing up and he's shouting, and at one point he's just shouting out, "End it! End it!" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I absolutely get what you're saying with this because these one nil or one goal wins when the final whistle goes it's fucking it's great it's wonderful the win is amazing but even yesterday when it wasn't necessarily a game in which we were under a great deal of threat I didn't think West Ham were particularly good in the second half they didn't cause us too many problems but you know it's in the back of your mind and of course on the TV you know they're going like well of course Tottenham won earlier and that puts the pressure on Arsenal because Tottenham won and just in case you didn't hear that (laughs) Tottenham won and you're like shut up here's the league table here's the permutations maybe that's part of it the TV coverage certainly ramp up the drama don't they so you you feel that but I was at the point where I was finding excuses to leave the room (laughs) like I was like my wife was in the room doing some work she wasn't even really watching the game but I was like do you want a cup of tea and she was like, don't you want to watch the game? I was like, no, not really. <laughs> like, I found myself willing time to speed up. I I honestly was like, bring bring me the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, stressful, stressful. Because it was such a an important game. And Spurs had won mm. very comfortably. And I'm sure they were feeling very good about that. And all yeah. looking at this fixture and thinking, oh, potential banana skin yeah. for Arsenal. It's it's weird. I When I'm doing the live blog, I do maybe sort of one to two updates per minute based on what's happening, yeah. you know, or a goal kick or sub or whatever it is. And I get to about 75 minutes and we're ahead and I'm thinking, I've only got 30 more little updates to do. <laughs> and like if most of them are like throw into Arsenal, free kick to West Ham. Uh, good drive down the left by Nuno, etc., uh, mm. etc. Et and I'm counting down. I'm like, 25, 24. <laughs> and it's just part of this weird superstition-y kind of routine that I have when we're in these, when we're in these um, scenarios. And we've been in these scenarios quite often this season. It feels like that anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, it's been a nail-biter at times. Um, but God forbid we should ever celebrate... A nerve-wracking win, eh? Um. <laughs> I mean, I, we had a question um, on the Discord. Let me see here um, if I can find it. Okay, it comes from Jmart91. He says, good morning, gents. In terms of the celebration police, are you more veering towards being pissed off with them as it only happens to Arsenal or laughing and drinking their salty tears? And, you know, at this point... I'm just kind of weirded out by it. I find it so bizarre and strange. A, that like, okay, the example from yesterday, isn't it, is Chris Sutton going, ooh, Arsenal celebrating like they won the league. Oh, dearie me. And you can actually hear Chris Sutton say that. Oh, dearie me. And his oh, dearie me for you. Oh, dearie me. Anyway, it's that, right? But it's it's sort of like, have you not like seen anything that's happened to all the other people who have done this over the last six or eight weeks or whatever it is where they're just being torn apart online because like it's so facile and stupid that any 
pundit or commentator or, or halfwit who goes on social media or the radio to talk about Arsenal celebrating is literally eviscerated by Arsenal Twitter. The quote tweets, the ratios, whatever you want to call it. And at this point, I'm thinking there must be something wrong with someone who is inviting that kind of reaction upon themselves. And that's even just leaving aside how fucking incredibly dense it is to to take issue with a team celebrating winning a game of football. Yeah, especially when the celebrations, I think, uh, at the London Stadium were considerably more measured than some of the ones we've seen from Arsenal <laughs> in, in recent weeks. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the cynic in me has to think that that is the tweet of a man with a, a radio phone in to promote. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's a surefire way to guarantee yourself about a thousand Arsenal callers. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should give Chris Sutton that much credit, but uh, yeah, that surely that's what's behind that because it's just absurd. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely stupid at this point. So to answer the question, I am laughing at them. Um, uh, I'm laughing. Not yeah, them, yeah, but yeah. I'm laughing. I'm genuinely laughing at them, and I'm drinking their salty tears. But I also think it's just fucking weird. It's weird behavior at this point that has no rational explanation beyond, like, just trying to make yourself relevant or relevant is the wrong word. But you're just thirsty for online engagement when you could just go fucking outside and look at a tree or something, you know? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So look, let's let's talk about this game because we had a, an injury issue beforehand with Ben White, uh, who had a hamstring yeah. strain. Rob Holding came in, uh, return for uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu at right back, which was good. And I don't know how to talk about this first half really. In that it wasn't uh, good or particularly mm. interesting. From the point of view of of either side, it was like West Ham, I could understand being a bit slow, given that they played a European semifinal on Thursday. He did pick a strong team, a stronger team than I thought he might pick. But I was expecting maybe a little bit more from Arsenal. And then it occurred to me maybe that, well, I don't know if this is the plan. I was trying to think about why aren't we a bit you know, more at it. Why aren't we fresher? Why aren't we quicker to the second balls and, and certain things that were worrying me about it? And uh, there was a part of my brain saying, well, maybe we're hanging on. You know, part of the plan is to be better in the second half when West Ham are likely to be a bit more tired. But then that just sounded like me making up some kind of excuse. Yeah, it was weird. I was watching the first half and sort of thinking looking at the pace of the game and some of the sloppiness, I was like, you know, this is the kind of game you get at the end of the season when, you know, these two teams don't really have anything to play for. Yeah. And then I was like, no, wait, hang on a minute. <laughs> We've got loads to play for. Um, it was quite a poor quality game. I mean, my colleague Art Durocher, uh was at the game for the Athletic and he texted me saying, this is one of the worst games I've ever been at. Um, and it was sloppy, like from the... Start. I think we. I seem to remember Nuno just giving it away in the first minute. Gabriel yeah. wasn't far behind. Um, there was a real kind of sloppiness on the ball, front to back, really, in the Arsenal team. I think there were some worse cases than others, but it was pretty insecure throughout. Um, and just no pace in the game whatsoever. I mean, I do think that kind of suited Arsenal as the away team. Mm. To sort of, for it to you know, it kind of killed the atmosphere. Um, West Ham didn't build a great deal of momentum, certainly in the first half hour. So it kind of suited 
I think us, but but I'm not sure it was by design, and I don't think. Mm. Either team were playing particularly well at that point. No, I mean, Mikel Arteta certainly wasn't pleased with it. Um, no. And he refused to put the the pressure, if you like, of Tottenham winning before us and going above us in the table and the stakes being high as as any kind of reason for, for that sloppiness. He said, mm. you know, whatever else is going on, you should still be able to pass the ball from A to B, you know, which I think is a, is a fair point. But also... It's hard to know sometimes how the, you know, how the players are reacting to whatever individual and collective pressure they might be feeling and like it or not. I think when your rival for the top four wins a game uh, before you go out to play and you know they're ahead of you, it does have a little bit of a psychological impact. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily explains how we played. But it has to be present, doesn't it, in in the backs of their minds? I know they're concentrating on the game at hand and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't know if it's motivating for some players going, okay, let's get into this because we absolutely need to win or a bit worrying for other players. You know, I don't think there's a one-size uh, one size fits all um, yeah. thing for well, Ransdale for claimed he didn't know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. I mean, that was just really funny on, on Sky. He's going, oh, I had no idea. They won. I went out and Holding was just laughing at him. And then Jeff Shreve says to Rob Holding, and did you and the rest of the guys know? And he goes, yes, of course. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Of course we fucking knew. Um, but I mean, that maybe that's Ramsdale's way of just dealing with it. Um, pretending to himself that he didn't know. I mean, he knew. I'm sure he knew, you know. But uh, I, I like that that public um, I think utterance. he's saying the right thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, Arteta said himself, there's no way I can hide it from them you know everyone's on their phones in the dressing room you know it's, yeah. it's a reality of the situation and also sometimes that pressure can be a positive force you know in theory it could be a really strong motivating factor mm. if the result went a certain way um yeah i don't know i mean i i don't want to sound like thomas tuckle here but i almost found myself wondering about the surface there was so much sloppiness <laughs> do you know what i mean like the, the simple passes were sort of or, or first touches were yeah. two or three yards in front of a man. Um, mm, even Granite Xhaka, who's usually really reliable, was yeah. caught out more than when I caught on on the ball a couple of times. But also just in terms of not not distributing uh, it as well as he did. I, I don't I don't know if it was a surface or not. It didn't, didn't look like a particularly bad surface, but there was definitely some sloppiness to our play and also West Ham's. To be fair, it was two teams I think in that first half hour who really didn't do a great deal. No, I mean, there was barely a save in the game. I, I think, I forget slightly the order of events, but uh, let me just have a think. Was it was was Rob Holding's block? Um, yes, it was. That was sort of the first big moment in the mm. game where uh, he made a great block inside the penalty area and, and promptly went up and scored at the other end not too long after. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't long after that at all. I mean, there were a couple of moments, I think, where... You know, after a fairly passive half an hour, we needed some spark. We needed somebody to inject a bit of forward momentum into the way mm. that we were playing. And there was a great run from Bakayo Saka uh, down the right-hand well, side, yeah. um, which ended, I think, with it, a free it sort of kick to, to West Ham. And he, he didn't quite make the best of it. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it was 
probably a free kick to Arsenal more than a free kick to West Ham um, in the D. But then Eddie himself took the ball on and drove into space and had a shot which Fabianski saved. Saka whipped in the free kick, or the corner rather, and um, Rob Holding with his with his first ever Premier League goal. Nice header. It's been a while coming. I think you're right. It was going to be those kind of individual moments that that just broke the game open a bit. Actually, before Saka and Nketiah's runs, there was one from Kurt Zuma from centre-back West Ham. He sort of ended up in the opposition penalty area, in our penalty area. And and that was the kind of game it was mm. where somebody individually had to try and do something to make it happen because it was so bitty. Yeah, we got the, If we were going to get a goal, set pieces was probably the way. I mean, we weren't creating chances really, particularly in open play. And I have to say, I really loved... Holdings' desire and hunger to get to that ball. I mean, he absolutely yeah. uh, monstered Lanzini, was it, who was yeah. um, with him and who actually was with Gabriel at the back post on the other goal. So not great from West Ham there. Um, really fought him off to get there and decent header. And I, I think you could see how made up the rest of the team were for him. He's a hugely popular guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's come in and deputised for Ben White when he wouldn't ordinarily have been playing. And I thought he had a very good game, actually. Uh, defensively, you know, this is kind of the game that would suit him, in a way. Yeah, exactly. And I the mean, game if, state if he wasn't starting, him. you'd be bringing him on, wouldn't you? As soon as Antonio and Suchet were coming yeah. on the field, you know, it becomes a Rob Holding game. And he's he's very good in that 18-yard box. Yeah, yeah, he is. If not necessarily backs to the wall defending yesterday, but when you have to be organized and make the clearances and make the headers, uh, I think he does that particularly well. Uh, and it's an important role and and part of part of this recent run um, has been the impact of fringe players mm. or who have been fringe for basically most of the season, Rob Holding uh, yesterday, and who has played a part, I think, in, in some of the big wins. As we said, when you bring him on and you're holding on for a hero, um, Till the morning light, he's there, you know. But also, Mohamed El Neni's come in, and Eddie and has come in. I'm sure we'll talk about Eddie a bit um, in this podcast too. But but their contributions, having played very little, have been fundamental to what has been like. If the if the three games we lost against Palace, Brighton, and Southampton were on paper a little bit of a how would you describe it like unexpected like no one would really have predicted that i think it was a shock really yeah, yeah. it was a shock and maybe just like a bit of a an example of the topsy-turvy way football is and can mm-hmm. be i think it's also reasonable to point out that three wins against chelsea man united and west ham is also probably a little skewed the other way if you know what i mean you know, For nobody sure. would have nobody would have said, "Okay, you're going to win those three games. You're going to lose those three games." Uh, and I'm not quite sure what my point is here. I've lost the point that no, I was no, going no. to make. I but think I just think you, you look at the balance of performances. I mean, you know, if you look at those six games and you're like, well, "How many points did Arsenal deserve from those six games?" It's quite mm. a difficult question to answer. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, I mean, there isn't that random element to to f- football. That, that does produce these kind of quirks in terms of these runs. On, on the squad players, it's really interesting because we've spoken a lot. We spoke a lot in that losing run about, you know, how thin the squad is, how small the squad mm. is. And I think that still stands, really. It is a small squad. 
But what Arsenal have chosen to do is populate that with or, or hold on to mm. the people who maybe are more prepared to play their role, play their part in that group. I mean, Mikata keeps referencing this idea of good people, you know, good things happen to good people. And I think mm. El Nenny holding characters like that are kind of ideal squad players in some respect in that they are, while not accepting, I imagine, of like the fact they're not starters, I'm sure they want to play week in, week out, they at least embrace the role and, and take the opportunities when they come and they are positive contributors to the group even mm. when they're not in the team. And for a manager, players like that must be a godsend, really. I mean, you know, I, I think they're pretty hard to come by. It is. It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because people will bemoan the lack of quality in backup players, but it's very difficult to keep good quality players happy if they're not um, if they're not playing, you know? Mm. So you do have to try and find that balance between quality, um, their willingness to come in and do a job for a team, um, all of those things. It's, not, it's really not easy. And I think we can all look at a, a team uh, and say, look, we could do with a better player here, a better backup there. But, you know, if you have four or five starting quality players – there are going to be three or four or two or three players really unhappy every week. And that causes problems. And I'm not saying they're insurmountable problems. And in many ways, it's kind of the good problem for, for a manager to have. But it's about making sure that your squad, if it's streamlined, has got enough depth, um, which I think is an issue for us at the moment, certainly in a couple of positions. But, you know, getting the most out of those players when you really need them is not easy. And I think... If you're El Nenny, if you're in Kedia, and even to an extent, if you're Rob Holding, you might be forgiven for, at least on a personal level, wanting more playing time. I don't think that for any footballer is, is an outrageous thing to say, mm -hmm. but they've been on the bench for most of the season. And now when they've been absolutely needed, they've made really positive contributions. And that, I think, augurs well for the way this squad is being built together. And, and you know, as you say, it's a real um, accommodation for these guys and their own character that even if maybe their futures aren't here in a couple of cases, they're giving it everything in these final games to help the club get back to, you know, where we want it to go. Yeah, and also this season presented a particular challenge, didn't it? Because without mm. European football, and unfortunately due to our FA Cup run uh, being curtailed, not much cup football either, there simply weren't that many games to go around and they weren't ever really going to be. Um, so I think carrying a bigger squad may have become extremely difficult. Uh, it was difficult enough last year when we had European football. So, yeah, it was a particularly interesting set of circumstances. But I think the guys that they ultimately stuck with and they kept around, I think a lot of that decision will have been made based on, yes, quality, but also character and attitude. And that's where someone like Holding has really shone. And, and I do think as well that... Um, it's interesting, as a, t a certain type of defender, he is very strong. I mean, in that scenario that we face in the second half mm. where West Ham are looking to sling it in the box, he he's pretty good. I mean, as a pure penalty box defender, yeah, 
I think he's he's pretty reliable. I think so too. I think that aspect of his game has really come on. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been times in his career where I think he's been, he struggled a little bit with movement in the box. And I think now he he reads the game better from a defensive point of view, particularly aerially, where I think he's been caught out a few times before. But, you know, fair play to him, got the goal. Uh, I think he had a good all-round performance. And, you know, we might need him in the in the weeks ahead, um, depending on how serious the injury is to to Ben White. Um, just back to the game, one aspect of of us in the last couple of weeks has been scoring goals and then finding ourselves in danger pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. And that was the case again. Uh, Declan Rice had a header, which Aaron Ramsdale made a very good save from. And then they got their goal, which, you know, I don't think there's any one particularly awful mistake in the goal, but you can look at certain aspects of it and think, could we have closed down Rice a bit quicker before he made the pass out to the right back? Should Nuno have been... Uh, more aware further out uh, in order to close down the cross. Could Gabriel have got a bit quick, uh, closed him down a bit quicker? And then the shot deflects off uh, Gabriel's arse and, and goes in beyond Ramsdale, who couldn't get there. I mean, how do you view the goal? Just one of those things where we were getting to halftime and maybe weren't quite as switched on as we should be? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of willing, well, as as, I've t- as you can imagine, having told you what I was like during the game, willing that halftime whistle to come mm. because it was clear West Ham were in the ascendancy at that moment. And Ramsdale made that save and you thought that might be that, um, but there was still time for them to get the equaliser. I think it was poor from Arsenal defensively. I mean, Nuno seems very narrow to me there. Yeah. Um, I'm not an expert on kind of defensive shape, but he, that seemed like he'd kind of over overcommitted on on that. Um, and maybe Martinelli, if if Nuno does tuck in, is supposed to come back more than he did. Um, Gabriel probably should have been a bit tighter mm. um, to Bowen, but I would also say it's one of those where there are five touches from West Ham from the Rice pass, uh, the control and cross and, and Bowen's control and finish. And they're all pretty perfect. I mean, I do think that Jared Bowen piece of control is, yeah. is pretty astonishing. Actually, the way he sort of kills it out the air and, and hits it. It's difficult to defend against that, but I, I think, I think Arteta won't be happy with it. And it was the timing particularly that felt um, painful because you thought, Oh, we've sort of mm. snatched the, advantage uh, and the momentum and sort of handed it straight back. Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at some of the reaction of the the Arsenal <laughs> players when the goal goes in and they're kind of looking across at the left-back area. I thought Nuno grew into this game actually in the second half, but, but for the goal, you can see that they're looking at the left-back area and his defensive positioning is something which is a, is a bit worrying to me. I, I find that like... In certain situations, he doesn't quite know where he's going to be. He doesn't seem like he can anticipate what's going to happen. I think that's a, that's a slight worry. But to be fair to him, he had some good moments in the second half, some good defensive interventions and some good clearances driving up the field and, and to get us clear. And I think as imperfect as it is, it's it's what we've got at this moment in time. And, and um, you know, we're going to have to you know work hard to, to sort of offset that little weakness. Yeah, and I think the players around him were working hard to do that. Um, I agree, yeah. You know, Granit Xhaka was 
doing a bit of on-field coaching at times with with the positioning side of things. The shape of the team was interesting. Gabrielle spent a lot of time, mm. I think, in that left channel with Tommy Asu coming in. It was almost like a back three in some moments with Nuno giving a bit more license to push on. It, I'll be honest, individually, he still really yeah. worries me. Yeah. But collectively, for the balance of the side, I sort of agree this is probably the, the best solution for the time being. All right, second half. And I suppose the one moment we might have to just talk about before we talk about our goal is the the Ramsdale-Bowen incident. Yeah. And we had a number of questions, actually, which I'll just do a couple here. Uh, let me see. Uh, Eric Vague on the Discord said, should, Ra- uh, should Mike Dean have given Bowen a free kick for the challenge uh, from Ramsdale? I personally think he should. Ramsdale's tackle is late and dangerous. The only reason there's no contact, uh, contact is because Bowen jumps out of the way um and there were a number of comments and and questions on that i mean it's one of those where a split second a millimeter a couple of inches whatever it is and that's a very different looking incident altogether isn't it (laughs) Mm. yeah it's interesting i mean we've been full of praise for rob holding but i do think this this moment shows you where he is less strong because the ball was played over the top and bowen runs away from him. I think Ramsdale obviously misjudges his charge out of goal, possessed by the spirit of Lucas Fabianski at the other end of the pitch. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny, only last week we were talking about him as, as Lehman-esque and this was uh, right out of the end's back catalogue. I think um, I think he was a bit fortunate, to be mm. honest. I mean, what's interesting is if when, when you watch it, Bowen's touch is very much away from goal. He basically knocks the ball out for yeah. a throw-in. So I think at that moment, Bowen has decided, I'm going to try and get this player sent off. Um, or at least, you know, I'm going to go to ground, I think. Um, and that's why he was so relaxed about the mm. outcome of him, of him being booked. But I think, I, I was surprised, to be honest, that that was the way it went. I think there's a, it's a, I think you're right. Like he definitely decides he's going to take a tumble, but I think part of it is also, it's like, oh yeah, you can, I'm just watching it again. I mean, it's a definite dive. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, I mean, he was so accepting of it afterwards yeah. that he must know what he's done. I mean, well, he knocks the ball away from the keeper and thinks, right, here we go. Yeah. I, I would have been interested to see if he'd given the foul, if it would have been a red. Um, I don't know that it would have been because there were players covering. It wasn't a yeah. clear goal In scoring In real time, I thought he'd booked Ramsdale. That's what I thought had happened straight away. I think it would really depend on what kind of contact Ramsdale had made with him because he was sliding in and his foot was up. So when a goalkeeper comes out like that and if he makes contact, it could be quite significant contact and that in itself might be considered endangering an opponent to the extent that you could see a red card being given there like if we if we imagine it up the other end and let's say Saka is the one going running Fabianski comes out and ends up putting his studs in the side of Saka's knee I think we'd be going that's probably a red card yeah, yeah so yeah. I so think there's, I an, think element there's an element of good fortune, fortune really yeah, yeah, yeah. to not make the contact I actually think that um that is the part of Ramsdale's game that that the coaching staff should most be 
focused on because since when he came to Sheffield United, there was a lot of talk about like, oh, what will he be like with the ball at his feet? And he's actually proved to be pretty good in that respect. Mm. But one thing that he certainly wouldn't have had to be doing is coming 30 yards out of his goal. And I think the way Arteta plays mm. and the way Arsenal want to play with a higher starting position for the goalkeeper, it is going to be incumbent on him for, to do a bit of that. And mm. he's done a bit of it here and there, but I don't think he looks massively comfortable with it. So uh, I wasn't, you know, I mean, obviously I wasn't hugely surprised to see this incident occur. And I think it is a bit of a lucky escape. And actually, like, if he's going to play at the top level, mm. I think that is an aspect of God. If you look at, like, your Allisons or your Edisons, they're doing yeah. that regularly. And I think it's something that he'll need to develop as he as he grows. I wonder what kind of a training ground routine you could yeah. use for that, though. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's very difficult, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, I was exchanging... Uh, messages with a goalkeeper coach actually about this last night. I was sort of trying to get their take on it. And they were saying, well, you know, as a keeper, it's one of those where once you've made the decision to come, yeah, you, 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 you know, it's, you sort of have to hope it goes your way. And, and I, that's why I mean, I think there was a kind of element of fortune here, but could have been very different. So it's a big moment in the game. And look, we've always liked Mike Dean, haven't we? We've always said... <laughs> He's, he's a, a good fair, guy. He's upstanding, got a, yeah. yeah. Honorary Gooner Mike Dean. We've always said that. Um, we've been nothing but consistent on that. That is very true. That is very true. So look, a couple of seconds later, we're up the other end. We get a corner after a Bakayo Saka shot is saved by Lucas Fabianski. Corner comes in. Some shouts for handball against Rob Holding. Um yeah, I, I, it wasn't clear, was it? I mean, no. David Moyes clearly thought it was, but I think there was a pretty good case that well, came would, off the defender's yeah. back. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't clear. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, conclusive. Yeah, exactly. Um, a bit like, a bit like the Martinelli offside against Brighton, you know, which well, was not conclusive at all. They guessed, and I, uh, I suppose on this occasion. They said, well, if we can't conclu conclusively say that it was handball, then we let it go. Uh, ball came back in from Martinelli. Really nice movement from Gabrielle uh, to sneak in behind and, and power home a header. I don't think Fabianski had, had any real chance. I don't think you can blame a goalkeeper when the guy has a point-blank header from, from that kind of range. But he does like a goal, doesn't he, Gabrielle? And on days when, let's say your forwards don't quite have their shooting boots on, your wide players aren't quite uh, tearing it up the way they have in previous games, the ability to score goals from set pieces and to have defenders who can contribute in that way is really, really important. And he he's like Koscielny, I think, in that he's he's just got a goal in his locker when you need one, you know? Um, yeah. I think four of this season. I think he's the highest scoring centre-back in the league, actually. Right. said to me yesterday. Great weapon to add mm. to your arsenal. It is good. That. I mean, just to have that presence in the box, you mm -hmm. know, to, to have the threat in some way. I mean, it's, it's not the same thing, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure. But, like, the difference in the last three games when we've had a striker who's a bit more mobile, able to run into channels, able to keep defenders occupied – you know, it gives the opposition something to think about. Um, Certainly. And, and and set pieces were a weapon for us in this game. And, and we looked at that near post area 
quite a lot. Rob Holding ended up scoring from there. Mm. That's it's, There's a simplicity to what Arsenal do. They get their tall players to attack the ball often at the near post and it's pretty effective. Um, what I liked about this goal actually was the fact that we were so alive to the second phase. You know, the quarter comes in, it's sort of half cleared away. Martinelli's really lively onto it. It's a very good pick out actually at the far post. Mm. And Gabriel is alert to peel off the back of his man um, and just power that head of past Fabianski. So, yeah, listen, set pieces are big moments in games and we are maximising those at yeah. the present time at both ends and those margins could be really crucial come the end of the season. For sure. Um, now, West Ham didn't really threaten and we had some chances, some moments. Eddie and Kedia had six shots in total, four shots on target. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fabianski had to make a couple of saves. I don't think any of them were particularly uh, difficult for him. There was one where he tipped it around the post, I think, which was a good save. But there was another one when Eddie went through and and um, just curled it. wasn't far wide at all. Uh, yeah, you'll like this stat. Eddie Nketiah had as many shots on target versus West Ham as Alex Lacazette has had in his last nine Premier League games. Wow. Wow. Uh, so there you go. I, yeah. mean, I thought Eddie was actually... Pretty unlucky to not come away with a goal in this game. Um, I know, obviously, you know, the finishing is his responsibility, but he forced a couple of good saves out of Fabianski with those kind of low, very low side-footed mm. efforts. The one he whipped just past the post, it really is just past the yeah, post. Yeah, it is. One. It's like hair's breath. Um, it's an interesting thing about Eddie. Do you know that since Eddie came into the uh, Arsenal first team, he's hit the woodwork more than pretty much any other player in the Premier League. His like ratio of shots to woodwork is really high. Wow. Um, at least a couple of games ago, it was something like 19% of his Premier League shots had hit the post or bar. Wow. Um, seven times, I believe, he's hit the woodwork. He's had a, you know, a goal disallowed for offside here and there. A couple of near misses yesterday. I do wonder where it... Were it, you know, but for a few inches, how different the perception of him might be. But then some would say that it's is, those inches that make the difference. It, you know? it certainly is. I mean, how much of a hero would Nicholas Bender have been in the in the camp now that night, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's moments, it's those things which define you. And I suppose the I, thing you would say in mitigation for Eddie is that, like, since he's made, if you want to call it a breakthrough or his breakthrough as a first-team player – at Arsenal, he's had two experienced um, £50 million plus strikers to compete with for a place in the team, you know, with Aubameyang, who's obviously not here anymore, but Lacazette too. So the timing of his emergence has been a little unfortunate. And I'm not saying that he is the be-all and end-all or he's the guy to score all the goals because, you know, I still have doubts about that. But I have to give him credit in these last three games. He has made a difference, even though, you know, he didn't score against United, but he did have one ruled out for offside. Yesterday, I was looking at I was looking at him uh, tormenting and providing a nuisance to, to Zuma on top of the way that he played against Chelsea. And like, I don't, I'm not trying to be disparaging to Lacazette, but we don't have those chances. We don't have those shots on goal if he plays because he just doesn't have the legs. That's not his game anymore. He he won't drive or can't drive beyond defenders, doesn't have the pace, doesn't have the mobility to do that. There are other things that he can do and can do well, but 
you know, getting into shooting positions, as we've seen throughout this season, is a struggle for him these days. So I think Eddie deserves a lot of credit. I saw a lot of people saying he's just strolling around the place and, and not really trying, and I didn't see that. I have to say there were a couple of moments where the ball could have stuck. There was one pass, I think it was in the first half in particular, where could have been Xhaka played it uh, through the line, through midfield to him, and he was just slightly caught on his heels a little bit. But I thought he put in a really good shift yesterday, worked very hard, did keep it well, used it well. Late in the game, he's he's tearing around, he's winning the ball back, he's keeping it, winning a free kick to to uh, you know to ease the pressure on us. I thought he had a good game yesterday. I think he's had a good couple of weeks, Eddie Nketiah. Yeah, I thought his touch was a little loose in the first half, but I would mm. say that of most of the Arsenal team. Um, I thought it was telling, very telling, that in the second half, Alex Lacazette didn't come on because yeah. Eddie was the outlet. And I think there's an admission there that Lacazette cannot offer what Eddie did. Um which was the ability to spin off his man, run him behind. I mean, in recent months, we've kind of bemoaned at times our centre forward being bullied by big burly centre halves. Mm. He was up against Kurt Zuma yesterday. They don't come much bigger and burlier than that. Especially I if thought, you're a cat. Yeah. Um, and Eddie stood up to that in in every way. He was physical. Mm. I think there's a body language thing a bit with Nketiah because – it's been a bit of a theme this season of people saying he doesn't look engaged or he doesn't look to be working that hard. I, I do think that might be a slight misinterpretation. I, I think that might be something to do with the way he carries himself because I never quite see it like that myself. Um, I don't think you get picked if you're not doing what the manager wants you to do. Like if Mikel Arteta thinks that you're on the pitch and you're not putting it in or you're strolling around, yeah, I don't think you're getting picked. And, no, I think that's true. You know, uh, maybe it's about conservation of energy or being efficient with your sprints and your movement because I'm just watching a bit here now where he is sort of walking around in the centre of midfield. Um, but as soon as the ball is turned over, he's on his heels and he's running and he's looking for a pass down the line, which Xhaka uh, tries to make, but it's intercepted. So I think there might be something in that. Like, you know, I'm not making excuses for him, but the idea that if you're Eddie and Kedia and you're just walking and, it, you know, you're not doing what the manager wants you to do in those game states, you're not playing the next game. No two ways about it. No, true. And I think as this game wore on and became more stretched, he probably did have to conserve some energy mm. for those sprints he was making in behind. And I think what these near misses tell us, as you kind of alluded to, is that ultimately he does have a knack for getting shots off and he does have a knack for getting in goal-scoring positions. Maybe it's not converting to a goal as much as he would like right now, mm -hmm. but it is adding that la that layer of threat that we didn't necessarily have. So I thought this was a really good day for him all round, actually. I thought he, he really contributed. Yeah, I, I I thought so too. And I enjoyed that bit towards the end. Um, and, and we've got some questions specific to this and, uh, and this kind of topic in general, so I don't want to go over it too much. But, you know, West Ham need a goal. They're pushing for a goal. They get a free kick in their own half. He delays it, uh, gets a yellow card, sparks a bit of a, uh, a brouhaha, if you like. Um, and that kind of thing, 
we've seen it happen to our players at times where the opposition sucker you in and they, they, they mess with your focus. Mm. And Declan Rice, rather than being focused on trying to get a goal for his team, is acting the Billy Big Bollocks, you know, in the centre of the pitch, giving it to Eddie and Kedia, uh, who just stood there going like, whatever, man. I don't give a fuck about you, but like, you've got a free kick. It's taken now nearly two minutes for you to take it. And it ended up going nowhere. And that kind of thing I like. It's small. It's not, I don't know if it's coachable or whatever it is, but I like those small little actions. And I liked Eddie's behavior in that situation. Uh, he didn't back down from a much bigger guy. And that much bigger guy had, you know, more important things to worry about than Eddie and Kenny. Yeah, I thought that was great. And there was a bit of this from Arsenal in the, in the final stages of the game to kind of see it out and mm. slow it down. I mean, Declan Rice's head completely went. I think the video during the round shows him asking Eddie, who are you? You know, who are you? And uh, <laughs> they actually played together at Chelsea between the ages of nine and 14. Yeah. So um, I think Declan's very aware who Eddie Getter is. <laughs> uh, yeah, his head just completely went and it was yeah. quite good fun was to good. see because, you know, He's their best player and they were chasing an equaliser and for him to lose his rag and throw his toys out the pram at yeah. that, you know, important moment in the game was very, very nice. And Eddie played it very, very cool, I thought. He sure did. So look, final whistle goes, 2-1 win, away from home, big win on its own, big win in the context of the season, big win in the context of what Tottenham did earlier in the day, a big win on the back of two other big wins against Chelsea and, and Manchester United. And I don't know what more we can ask from this team over the last couple of weeks in response to the disappointing couple of weeks we had before that. I mean, you've got you've to give them credit. You know, if there's criticism to be handed out when we don't play well and don't win games, and that's fair, I think we've got to give them their dues, um, you know, for for this performance away from home against West Ham, away from home against Chelsea. You know, these are these are really big, important wins. And we've talked, I think, before about what we can take from this season and what this team can take from this season. And I think results like that even if there's still some inconsistency that we have to iron out, are things that they'll really take a lot from. Um, not simply because of how we got them, when we got them in the season or anything like that, but just those kind of games, they give you the confidence that, you know, next season we can go and do that again. Why can't we do that, you know, every time we play these? And that's how you, in, that's how you increase your level. Yeah, I mean, these are some of the biggest results of the season that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Um and it's an outstanding set of results. The performances have been up and down, as we said earlier on. But in terms of a response to losing three games on the spin, it's probably more than anybody could have hoped for. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And and when they lost to Southampton, and that was the third of three, I, I was on here saying, you know, I'm worried if they don't steady the ship, top six could be in jeopardy. And not only have they steadied the ship, they've secured top six at this point. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's slightly underreported aspect yeah, of this. Like top lost, six is I guaranteed guess. now, yeah? Yeah, which is kind of incredible. I mean, I know all the focus is on top four, and rightly so, and we're all still pushing for that. But there was more than one point in the season, particularly one point right at the start, where top six, which was the kind of 
base level, you know, that we were all hoping for from the campaign was looked unlikely or, or certainly looked in considerable jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, it's never it's never been done for a team to lose their first three games and finish in the top six in the Premier League era. That's never happened. Really? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Wow. So, so you know, I, I, I do think while there are bigger prizes to play for, and we're all mindful of that, sure. I don't think we should let that pass without comment. And, um, you know, I think even if West Ham go on and – Oh, no, that's irrelevant. Sorry, I was going to say mm. something about if they win the Europa League. But, uh, you know, the fact that Arsenal are going to be back in Europe next season, it's not insignificant. No, no, um, no. I mean, that was the baseline, wasn't it? That's what pretty much everybody said this season based on what's happened in the last couple of years and two eighth-place finishes and the investment that was made last summer on top of the investment the summer before. Everybody and I'm not speaking for everybody, but pretty much everybody I ever spoke to and everybody I listened to or talked to online was saying, look, European football top six is the absolute minimum uh, for this season. And we've done that. So let's go on and see if we can get the maximum. Yeah, there are bigger prizes to play for, for mm. sure. And and we're in a strong position. We're back in the driving seat. Our destiny is in our own hands um, and other cliches. So <laughs> a, a really good... Uh, period for Arsenal and yeah just a, a great feeling as well like a, you know a great scenes again in the away end mm. um, the story of this season is is a, a very compelling one and I hope it's got a happy ending you know it would be great if someone was making a fly in the wall documentary about this season I mean if only if only if only all right. Well, look, we will take a break here uh, from part one. We've got loads of questions, which we'll get to. Um, lots of stuff about the game, Eddie and Kedia, and lots more. We'll do that in part two right after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show uh, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, just to say that uh, we've been running a thing in April. Basically, every penny that we generate from Patreon is going to be donated to UNICEF. So thank you to everybody who signed up during the month of April. Hope you enjoyed the extra content and knowing that your subscription is going to a very good cause. We will um, 
get everything together, round it up, and make the donation this week. And we'll give you some more information on exactly how much money is going to uh, to UNICEF. But thank you all so much for your support in that regard, because um, you know there are a lot of kids out there who are going to benefit from from this donation across the world in war torn uh, countries, places that are uh, impacted by conflict, and and we all know where they are. And that money is going to go to a great cause. So thank you very much. Uh, to uh, to everybody for that. Just to remind you as well that a little bit later on today we will have our poorly drawn month, a recap of the month of April. Um, words by me, artwork by the fantastic poorly drawn Arsenal, and they're always a lot of fun. So that'll be up on Patreon a bit later on as well. Patreon.com yeah. forward slash arseblog. Looking um, forward to that. And the Union Chapel, James, which is going to be really something if, if everything goes right in the next couple of weeks, that is going to be a hell of a, a hell of an event. Mm. Um, thanks. Uh, yeah. Again, thank you to everybody who, who bought tickets and we're looking forward to seeing so many, of you, uh, many of you there. It should be, uh, it should be a good night. Um, yeah, the, I think the last one, incredible. yeah, the last one we did was upstairs in the bar. Wasn't it? Wasn't that the last yeah, one? Yeah. So that was like a 150, something like that. Yeah, uh, this is this is a lot more. So uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll do our best to and give you an entertaining. Boys yeah, the Arsenal Vision boys well. will be there, so it should be good fun. Um, uh, but let's hope that the team can make it even funner, uh, because it will be good for us, and we'll be able to laugh at the uh, misery of other people too, which of course is an important aspect of football. Oh, it's one of our favourite pastimes. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Do you want to start, or will I start? How do you want to go? Uh, I'll start. Okay. Why not? Why not? Take uh, take some responsibility for once. Um, okay. What about Josh's question? Josh is at Josh Robinson 87 on Twitter. And Josh says, do either of you think we can catch Chelsea and finish third? I mean, it's not impossible. I thought that was a really interesting aspect of Aaron Ramsdale's interview yesterday. I know everyone was going on about like, um, the bit where he said he didn't know what the Spurs result was, and then the other bit with Rob yeah, Holding, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I but, don't know how much Rob Holding appreciated that, but yeah, <laughs> well, you know, you can't, you can't. I mean, there's no you hiding place from it. when you're bald or balding, mm. and then all, of, not all of a sudden, and then you have hair. You it know. doesn't happen naturally very often, and believe me, I, you know, I, mm. I pray for that every night. <laughs> Uh, and and David Webster actually on Twitter, who's at djw two six one one, said Ramsdale has an eye on third. Good tactic to chase or to have something to chase for rather than something to lose. Um, you know, fourth place, whatever it was. I thought that was cool. Why not? Why not aim as high as you can possibly aim? Because clearly Chelsea are going through a difficult period right now. They lost to Everton. Yeah, uh, they've lost to us. Um, I don't know what other games they've got. I don't. They lost really... to Brentford, didn't they, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, heavily scraped past West Ham. Um, what other fixtures have they got? They've got Wolves. Wolves at home Leeds. next, who haven't been great. Uh, their fixtures are pretty kind, I would say. I've had a, I've had a look. Obviously, I would love us to finish above Chelsea. Mm. So they've got Wolves at home, Leeds away, which Leeds, as we may find out, is looking at. A more important game, anyway. Yeah, there. they're scrapping. They're not on the beach by any means yet. Leicester home, Watford home. Um, mm. Those home games look cosy, I would say. 
With an FA Cup but, final thrown in the mix. With an FA Cup final in the mix. I mean, I thought it was interesting what Ramsdale said, and I do wonder if there's some sort of psychological benefit to chasing rather than being mm. chased. So it might help the players to kind of think in that fashion. Whether or not it's possible, I don't know. I think Chelsea will be okay. Um, by the way, though, on, on the subject of Chelsea scraping past West Ham the other day, we did speculate how the suspension of Craig Dawson might help Arsenal. Mm. Uh, and it was interesting that we scored two headed goals from set pieces, which is an area where he's incredibly strong. Yes. So I do think that sort of did work out a little bit for us. But yeah, I, I mean, third, wow. It would be lovely. And it comes with a direct path into the Champions League, I believe. You'd have to go through the qualifier. Oh yeah, I forgot about a qualifier. Fucking yeah. It'd be very Arsenal too. No, don't, 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 okay. don't. Stop it immediately. Um, let's not worry about that. But um, yes, I, I, I think Chelsea will be okay. This, they've still got real strength in that squad and the fixtures, I think, look winnable for them. So I think hmm. they'll be okay for third. Probably, but you know, if we could win, win our four games, I'm not saying they're easily winnable or anything like that. Oh, but if we win all four. If we win all four, we're going to be there or thereabouts. That is for sure, you know? Yeah, it's tight. I mean, it's only three points at this point. So mm. they've got a big goal difference advantage. But. Yeah. But I, I do like I do like that he put that into the consciousness, you know? And I hope that is something that the players themselves are, are thinking about, whether it's realistic or not. Um, I don't know, but they should be aiming as high as possible. So I, I think that's... I think that's a good thing. Um, let me ask you this one then, because we had loads of questions uh, about Eddie. And Aaron on the Discord says, uh, Eddie has a contract on the table. Do Arsenal improve their offer? And then there was another one here on the uh, on the Twitters, if I can find it. Um, basically, it was, okay, even if Arsenal wanted to keep uh, oh, yeah, here it is. It's from FH Arsenal, who's at uh, Philip Denstor. I think that's what it uh, says. Uh, I don't have my glasses with me, so I can't see. Um, he says, morning, gents. Based on Enkedia's latest promising performances, I would personally really like him to stay, as it seems he has obvious potential. But if you were Enkedia, knowing Gabriel Jesus might come, would you stay at Arsenal or seek first-team football somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the questions have sort of been around the idea of like, is it time for a rethink on Enketia? But I don't think from the club side, there's loads to rethink. Mm. You know, Arteta's been pretty transparent about his hope that Enketia will stay. And, you know, an offer, offers have been made. And as far as I'm aware, are still kind of on the table. Um, and I don't think it's about money at this point. Mm. So, would I like to keep Eddie? It really depends on in what capacity. Because as well as he's done, and I thought he did really well yesterday, and I'm not trying to take away from that, but there is a part of me that also looks at what he offers and how much better we look with a, a threat in behind and someone who gets shots off and thinks, what an opportunity is there for upgrade, you know? And it, it it sort of tells me more about the type of striker we need to sign necessarily than mm. it does that tell me that Eddie is the answer. Um, if Eddie wanted to stick around as a squad player, 
then that would be absolutely fine with me. That's kind of always been fine with me, really. But I think the point is that he doesn't want that. Mm. And so I still think this will end with him leaving. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's about playing time. I think he's 22 years of age. He's played second fiddle to Lacazette and Aubameyang for obvious reasons. But he's at a point in his career where he wants to play every week. And the question is, is he going to be the player that is going to play every week for Arsenal? And I don't know that we've seen enough. I think there's enough there, certainly, for him to stay as a squad player. Um, I can understand why the club would want to do it. He's just 22. He's still got plenty of room to grow and develop as a player. Um, there's a lot to do in terms of this squad in the summer when you look at who might go, how thin the squad is as it stands, and how much more it needs to be fleshed out if we end up with Champions League football next season. Because we are, I, I think the profile and the, the type of signings you have to make will change slightly if you've got Champions League football over Europa League football. Uh, someone like a Gabriel Jesus, you would imagine that might be quite a significant factor in his decision. Yeah, but, but you know, one of the things that was, I don't know if it, good is the right way of saying it about being in the Europa League, because I think we all wanted to be in the Champions League, but the Europa League group stages were a fantastic uh, place for the likes of Enkedia and Saka and Willock and Reese Nelson and um, Smith Rowe and mm -hmm. other young players to, to get yeah. competitive top flight football, uh, even if the opposition was, you know, not always great, but they were going to European away games. They were going to big stadiums. They were going to, you know, some places where it might have been not a great team, but it's noisy and it's intimidating and all that kind of stuff. You know, that that's that's really great for the development of these young players. So Europa League can give you that. But if you're in the Champions League next season and you, A, want to do well in the Champions League, but you also want to continue your progress in terms of the Premier League, you've got to play, you're playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, whatever that, that schedule might be. There's less scope for rotation, if you like, because the quality of the opposition that you're facing in, in the Champions League is is going to be higher. You need quality backup. You need better quality backup, you know, to, to cope with the schedule. So someone like Bakayo Saka can't play every single game in every single uh, competition that we play in next season. So I think it does change that. Um, just bring it back to Eddie, though. I, I think his mind is probably made up at this point. Mm. Um, I don't I think he I, might improve his situation in terms of, yeah. you know, what he'll be being offered and where he'll be offered it. Yeah. Um, and I think the travesty from an Arsenal perspective is that we may lose this player for next to nothing. Um, mm. If he goes abroad, yeah. especially. Uh, hopefully, if he doesn't go abroad, what he's doing in the Premier League will ramp up the tribunal fee. Yeah. But it still won't be, I don't think, close to what we might expect in the open market. So I, I have to say, I still think he'll go. I'm loving what he's doing. I'm loving having another academy player, part of the team. 
don't think I'm not fantasizing about Eddie and Ketia scoring the winner at White Hart Lane and Academy Boy doing it in the derby. Oh man, thinking about it every fifth minute. 30, but, 35 yard screamer that goes in <laughs> off both posts and the crossbar yeah. just to sort of make up for all the times he's hit it. Um, but at the same time, we all know Arsenal are going to go out and buy at least one, probably two forwards this summer. Mm. How's Eddie going to feel about that? I think I think what's really interesting, you know, Arteta, it's, it's so, I, I think it's so interesting to hear him talk about Nketiah. And one of the things he said, I think he said it after Chelsea was, you know, I've not, I've not been as unfair to any player as I have to Eddie. And I do wonder right now at this position, seeing what he's seeing from Eddie on the pitch, which is presumably what he's seeing from him in training, hence the way he speaks about him. I do wonder what sort of degree of regret there might be about how limited his involvement has been over the course of the season. Because as much as you can say you want to keep a player, if you do not pick them, mm. that's going to speak more loudly. And it feels like that is what's made Eddie's mind up, the lack of opportunity. And I, I do wonder if Arteta thinks, ah, were there games where Aubameyang was out of sorts or Lacazette was out of form mm. and I could have given Eddie a go and I didn't? Difficult as a manager to turn away from two such senior players. But it is. I wonder Particularly about in the context of their involvement this season as well, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot. there's a lot going on or has gone on um, with both of those players. But, yeah, I think it comes down to what Eddie wants more than what the club wants and what the manager wants. And if he wants to play week in, week out, I don't think there's any other outcome than than him leaving. But he talked last week, didn't he, about wanting a run of games to show what he can do. I still think there's, you know, issues with the finishing and, and everything else. But he certainly made a really positive contribution over these last... A uh, few weeks and and fair play to him and um, yeah I and, and I think the finishing yeah. eventually will come like I I just don't believe that he's just been such a prolific goal scorer all through the levels that I think that finishing ability is there um, and I think w- he will score goals in his career mm. it's it's purely a question of sort of what part in the squad he wants to play. Mm. Um, and as good as he's been in the last few weeks, I still think there is opportunity for something better um, mm. or something more proven at this point for Arsenal. Um, here's a question. Okay. On another player's future, it's from Ali, who's the Arsenal runner on Twitter. And Ali says, how do you see Holding's future? Like El Elneny, he does a job when he comes in. He's not spectacular, but solid. If Saliba comes back, will he be happy with being fourth-choice centre-back? That's another good question. That's going to be down to what Mikel Arteta can, or how he manages those those situations. Mm. Um, I mean, it is is a tough one if Saliba comes back. Even if he doesn't, I think it's still a conversation because... You know, Rob Holding's done brilliantly last few games, but it's very clear he's not in the first 11. No. And he's 26. He's not getting younger, even if his hairline suggests he is. And <laughs> at some point in his career, he is going to want to go and play somewhere, you would think, right? Every yeah, week. I would imagine that's the case. 
It may not be now. I mean, I think of players who sort of came through. I know he was not an academy player, but he got right very young. But I think of like that United generation, people like John O'Shea, Wes Brown, um, Philip Neville. These were mm. guys who were never really clear first choice players, but they stayed with United because they were enjoying it and winning things until they were really, I think, mm. late 20s, thir- you know, maybe 30. Johnny and then Evans, they went and had a kind one, of yeah. second career as a regular at a, a lower level of club. So that is one way it mm. can play out. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It depends, you know, what he... I mean, if you were even a fringe player at Arsenal right now, and you knew, okay, look, I'm not going to be a starter, but I'm going to play. There's going to be European games. There's going to be a role for me, even if sometimes it's just 10, 15 minutes at the end, but there's going to be injuries. There's going to be suspensions. I can start. This is a club that looks like it's going somewhere now. You know, that is another aspect that we have to consider when players think about their own futures. It's like, if Arsenal, and I know this is a like a hugely glass half full way of looking at it, but if we continue to build and develop a team that might then challenge for actual the top trophies, I know that's a long way away still, but if you're part of that, that could be a very satisfying um, aspect to your career, you know? as part of a rebuild, as part of a team that is, okay, let's say next season we're not like scrapping for top four. Let's say we're comfortably in the top four. And then the next step might be, okay, can we can we go another um, bit further and, and take points off the other teams and maybe make a bit of a title race? And I know this is like me being purely speculative and, and it's the, the best possible scenario that any, any of us can imagine. But I wonder if that's part of the thinking too. Well, he's clearly an important part of the group. I mean, he's mm. in the leadership group, isn't he, as well? Um, he's clearly very valued. I think everybody is full of admiration for him as a as a guy and as a player. But it's just if that's enough. I, I would be working overtime to get him to stay, actually. I know that some feel he has his limitations, and they're correct. You know, he's not a complete all-round defender, but I just think having that type of personality mm. in the squad... And a very, very useful player, I both when called upon and in certain match scenarios. I mean, if Rob Holding hadn't been starting that game yesterday, you would have been bringing him on. I mean, you know, he is very good when the team are under pressure, backs to the wall. Um, he's very good in a back three, I think, when we go to that system. So I really, really hope he's still here. I think he's the kind of squad player a manager dreams about. Um and if one of mm. our centre halves were to get injured and he had to step in, I would, I would trust him. So yeah, that's what you want. Yeah, so it goes I, back to I, what I we were saying. To stay. Yeah. It goes back to what we were saying in the first part of the show. Yeah, you know, keeping those guys involved, and even if their roles are defined in a way that they might not view as ideal, it's still an important role. At what fingers crossed is a big club getting back to bigger ways, if you know what I mean. So. Um, fingers crossed let me see here boom 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 uh i'm sure i had some here okay yeah uh let me get this one up here on the twitter uh opinion poll who's at bluntoni 
said, is it just me or are we actively embracing the dark arts this run-in? Time-wasting, tactical fouls, drawing fouls and penalties, on-field chat slash scuffles. How do we feel about that? And there was another one as well um, from three score and 10 on Twitter, who's Envisage, who says, how happy are you? The young ones are learning how to shithouse. Eddie getting right up Declan Rice's nose. Saka having a couple of nips at the heels to draw a yellow and disrupt play at the end. Do you think there is, um, do you think this is uh, being coached into them? I don't know if it's coached. I mean, I imagine it's partly coached, but I also think it's just a question of players gaining experience and realising it's part of the game and it's part of what's required. I'd say, uh, you know, I loved Eddie's involvement in the Declan Rice thing, but I also really enjoyed um, the rest of the Arsenal team mm. realising, oh, we could get 30 seconds out of this and yeah, just yeah. piling into a completely unnecessary scrap. And the Sky commentators were sort of like, oh, you don't like to see this. You know, Arsenal, they don't want to lose their heads here. And I was watching thinking, they know exactly what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. They're just eating up the clock with nonsense. Granite Xhaka at the forefront, as you would imagine, first man over. But they, that wasn't only the only incident. I mean, yeah, Saka made a pretty cynical foul. I think he... Definitely spent more time on the ground towards the end of the game than he needed to. There was that one time he went down and mm. said he was hurt. And I was looking at the replays thinking like, mm, I've seen you take a lot worse tackles than that over the course of the season. Um, Ramsdale taking his time with the goal kicks. It's part of the game. And especially in a close game, yeah, like against a rival, you know, or, or certainly a team that have been right up there this season in West Ham, a London derby, you've got to do what you've got to do. Mm. And Arsenal seem to be realising that at this point in time. Well, we're, we're sort of on the same thing, the same theme here. And I like it. You know me. I like a good bit of shithousery and, um, you know, nonsense that distracts the opposition. Um, bit of cynicism is good. Yeah. You, you need it. You absolutely need it. Um, our best teams have always had it. And uh, I liked, I like to see it. Um, but uh, Raonak... Bagwat, who's at Raunak Bagwat uh, on Twitter. I, I apologize if I haven't got that pronunciation right. Says, goodly morning. Can we talk about the Holding and Ramsdale interview? The camaraderie of this team, uh, of this lean squad, rather, was on full display. It shows that we have some really solid blokes in our squad and underrated quality. Does Arteta deserve credit for keeping the squad so tight? Well, I think it was kind of enforced by the lack of European football, as we mentioned in part one. And I think it was informed by what happened last season, where there were a lot of influential players on the fringes of the squad, shall Mm. we say. Um, And I think they wanted to avoid that. But I also think that it played a big part in recruitment, people's character, people's attitude. Yeah was a huge component in or in the signings that they made, uh, pretty much to a man. And they really did their homework on that. And it appears to have worked. I mean, however the season ends, I don't think there are two things you can't deny. And one is that the team seems to have a real bond and that the mm. bond between the team and the fans has improved dramatically. Yeah. Um, it's a much healthier club right now. And it will be healthier still if we get into the Champions League. But yeah, I think Arteta does 
deserve credit for that because ultimately when he talks about this idea of culture, I guess that's what it is, you know? There's a lot to be said for being in a dressing room where everyone is on the same page, willing to go to bat for each other, you know, to it's an overused cliche maybe, but to, to really fight for each other. Um, and I don't think that's always been the case. I was talking to somebody close to the club last week and, and they basically said, you know, he's got rid of all the dickheads. Um, Sometimes it is that simple. <laughs> yeah, you know, which I, it's not necessarily the the most complicated aspect of it, but it requires some difficult decisions to be made at times, un unpopular decisions as well. Uh, but you can see it. You can see it. Like, I don't think... I keep coming back to those three games that we lost, but I don't think we respond in the way that we did with three successive wins if this group of players isn't absolutely on the same page as each other. They all want the same thing. They're all uh, willing to, to put in the yards, to work hard, to, uh, as we talked about earlier, to maybe try and offset some of the weaknesses in the team at the moment, you know, to provide cover, mm -hmm. all of those things. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody here has been in a team or a dressing room or whatever it is where, you know, there's a couple of guys you know, who are just assholes and it's painful. It's a painful thing mm. at any level. And I think if you've got everybody on the same page, which isn't always easy to do, then I, I think that's a much more positive way of going about it. Sometimes you have to indulge the genius. You know what I mean? Of course. But I'm not necessarily sure that we had any genius worthy of indulgement over the last little while. And Arteta, I think, has realised, you know, something that happens very often in football clubs is that you get a few players who are kind of waiting out the manager, you know, who mm. maybe aren't in favour and they're thinking, well, I'll just hang, sort of hang around and a change will come and that will bring good fortune for me. Mm. And the problem with that scenario is when the chips are down, when you have lost three games on the spin... Can you call on those guys to turn it around for you? Yeah, that's it. And Arteta is very decisive, has become very decisive in these moments. But if you're not on board, you're out the door. And I know for some that's too far. But what it does mean is that when he when he needs something from the team, they're prepared to go there for him. Um, and I have to say, like I, I do think that you know the camaraderie we're seeing amongst the team. Mm. amongst the supporters yeah it's pretty special like I, I honestly i really feel that however the next four games play out this will be a season that we talk about in for quite a long time you know in the way certain seasons stick in the mind and there are lots of factors to that fans being back in the stadium football's been a bit better we've had mm. some big wins but you know when when after 20 more years of ask blog when you review the next 20 years whatever oh it might God. be they'll <laughs> they'll be and you do a podcast about every season there'll be a few people sticking their hand up wanting to do this one i really really do think you want to put your I name think, down now <laughs> I, I think um i think we've, we've turned a bit of a corner culturally yeah and i mean that not just about the team but about the club more generally and i think that's a massive positive and a huge relief to me to see how much happier people feel with how things are going. Yeah.
Um, here's a question from Freddie, who says, how good is Nicholas Yover at his job? Pretty good. <laughs> I mean, well, he, he's a coach who's got a great reputation. He kind of innovated the role in some respects at Brentford, did well enough to go to Manchester City mm. and has now come back to Arsenal. Always had a great relationship with Arteta through his time at City. Um, the results this season on the set pieces front are undeniably excellent. And after a period of time where that you could, that was not always the case at Arsenal and we've looked better on the attacking front and the defensive front. And I'm sure any coach would say, well, you know, judge me over five years, but or, or whatever it might be. But mm. you have to take your hat off to him. Um, it, it's been a real drastic improvement and it's not at one end of the pitch. It, it is at both. And the players deserve credit too, because this stuff is not the most fun part of training. And yeah, the job of a set pieces coach is to get players to care and engage. You don't get very long. You have to try and focus on the basics, work very fast, try and get them to invest in something that ultimately is they'd much rather be playing five aside or you know doing shooting drills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, that they don't really point. want to be there, and you have to make it fun. You have to make it engaging. You have to use players who aren't in the first 11. You have to try and make it attack versus defence, something that keeps it light and keeps the players invested. But I think the crucial thing is if you can demonstrate that it works, if they start to see results in games, they all buy in. And these guys are bought into Yeovil in a big way because you just need to watch a match and see when a set piece is awarded, how involved he is from the sidelines and that they look to him. Mm. They trust him. Um, so yeah I saw maybe it was Kai Kainat yesterday saying is he the signing of the summer I don't know about that but he's had a really big impact he has because I remember we were making jokes on that first preseason game when we let in a couple of set pieces and uh, <laughs> that's you know, true that's yeah true. And, and like let's be clear they were jokes because um, you know a guy being in the job for like two weeks is not really sufficient to make any kind of uh, judgment on their ability, even in this um, this culture we live in where immediacy or recency is the most powerful force in opinion, isn't it? It's like, oh, that guy had a good game. Let's yeah. make him captain and build a statue <laughs> and call the stadium after him. Or that guy had a bad game. Let's let's bury him at sea while he's still alive. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But for no fair play, I think he has done a great job. And and it, it does help when you have some players who are a genuine threat from set pieces. And Gabrielle, as I mentioned earlier, is somebody who's got a handy knack of, of scoring goals. But I there was one there was one yesterday where I think West Ham got a free kick. Uh, because maybe there was a bit of argy-bargy on Fabianski. I think he punched it away and then maybe got knocked backwards. I think it was even more about his own player knocking him than Arsenal players, but you know the way goalkeepers get protected. But I was watching the replays of it, and like Tommy Asu is coming in like, and like there's fucking heads and there's punches and all kinds of things, and he's just sort of leading with his head, just trying to get something on the ball. So having players who are good and brave in those uh, scenarios is 
is an important aspect of this too. So fair yeah. play is getting the most out of players who have some natural uh, ability in that regard. And we have got taller and bigger and stronger, but particularly at the back. And um, I have to say, good to see Tommy Asu back. There was sort of a yeah. moment in the first half where he kind of went up to the halfway line and won a header. And I thought, oh, that's, that feels nice. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, and he did really well. Like he stayed on probably longer than anyone would have uh, wanted, I imagine, mm. uh, after such a long time out. And obviously I, my heart was in my mouth when he went down holding his calf, but it appears that it's nothing serious. I think the Ben White absence probably made up their mind to get him back in, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really good to see him back there. Yeah. I mean, when you think about how long we've been without our first choice fullbacks, this season for various periods. Now, I know there was one where we did have Tierney available, but but Nuno is keeping him out of the team. Yeah. But certainly to be without Tommy Asu, who, you know, I think was a strong contender for our most consistent player in that opening half of the season after yeah. he came into the side. Um, you know, to be without him for that period of time, look, we've had ups and downs in that, but I think most teams would struggle if they lost their best right back for a, a prolonged period, you know? Um, yeah. Defer. Um, well, Billy McBeardface said, if new hairlines get you goals, should we put a wig on Lacazette to see us through until the end of the season? I enjoyed that. <laughs> what kind um, of wig though? David Luiz wig? He'd just shoot <laughs> over the bar the whole time. Yeah. David Luiz would be good. Uh, give an extra half a foot in height as well, which could be handy. Um, I like I like the idea of Lacazette as a kind of substitute if we need a goal. Like I think if oh, yesterday, same. yeah, yeah, if yesterday we needed a goal, having a player of his experience on the bench is is you know no bad thing at all. So and he's made an impact as a sub earlier in the season mm. a couple of times. Uh, uh, there was a question, a couple of questions about goal difference. So Oliver Adams uh, on Twitter said, "Nightmare scenario: Do we need to start thinking about goal difference?" Obviously, win the last four and it doesn't matter, but a few permutations would have us level on points with Spurs at the end of the season. Does winning big need to be thought part of the thinking against Leeds? And over on the Discord, Gezi boy, tremendously morning, fellas. Goal <laughs> difference is starting to loom. Given we'd probably have to lose or draw with Spurs for it to come into play, do you think there's a path for us to make up the current difference? I don't think it's something we can really think about beyond just winning the games. Yeah. I mean, Seven next, goals is different. We're plus 13, yeah, they're, plus, they're 20. plus 20. So look, next weekend could be a really pivotal moment in this top four fight. Mm. Especially if Liverpool beat them 7-0. That well, that's be. it. And we beat Leeds, you know, 3-0. 32. 32-0. Yeah, exactly. You know, it has the potential. I'm not taking anything for granted on any level here, but it really does feel like that could be the weekend where it 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 could almost be in our grasp completely. Um, well, Spurs play Saturday night. Mm. Will Aaron Ramsdale know the score by Sunday lunchtime? No. Will he be no, living in a cupboard? In he's, no, he's gone out early to warm up. You know, he yeah, he started be, warming up yeah. at seven p.m. on Saturday. Yeah, just walking down Blackstock Road. Uh, yeah, yeah, limber sure, up. limbering up yeah. outside the fish and chip shop. <laughs> I think um, it does feel like a big weekend. I agree with mm. that because Liverpool are going very well. I mean, they're not bad, are they? Um, 
if they were to beat Tottenham and we could beat Leeds, mm. we would be five points. I said six points in my post-match video yesterday. Apologies for the error, but it would be five points ahead going into the derby, which just mm. would be a nice cushion, wouldn't it? Um, it would make a draw in the derby a good a, result, a really good result. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, a nice to not go there having to win. I think it would also mean tantalizingly that a win would mean would secure it. top four at at, yeah. at their place. At their now that place. would be that would be lovely. That would be that very would funny. Be very nice. Um, like but that. you know, it would mean even a defeat would still leave it in our hands, which which you know mm. would feel a luxuriant position to be in. Um, I am scarred, however, by the Manchester City Tottenham game. Yeah, me too. That was the last time I watched a Tottenham game. Right. Yeah. Where they, where Manchester City. Really, I mean, I want Liverpool to win the league purely because of that game. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I can't forgive them for what they did. Fucking monsters. Monsters. Uh, disgusting, yeah. I, I mean, s- sickening stuff. And I am a bit scarred by that. But uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I was chatting to my Adam, my Spurs supporting mate, this morning, and he, he was saying, well, after that West Ham result, he, he said, I, I feel like going to Anfield a draw isn't even that good for Spurs now because mm. he feels like it doesn't really change anything. Um, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, listen, and, 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 and we've had a lot of question about is Leeds now a, a tough game because they're so much in the relegation scrap? And I think probably it is. I mean, it's not, yeah. and it, they're not the same side as... Bielsa's side, you know, they're nowhere near as open and as vulnerable. They've only lost one of their last five, looking at this form table. New manager bounce, which of course- Yeah, they have had a bit of that. But what goes up must come down. So if you have bounced, you have to debounce. So I'm hoping the debounce is on I hope their debounce is imminent, and I hope Burnley's debounce doesn't come for some Mm. time, uh, because they've got Spurs still to come. I mean- how are you feeling? Let's just sort of take the temperature of how you're feeling about uh, top four at this point. Cautiously optimistic. But sure. I think the only thing we can do is just concentrate on on our own results because if you get invested in, like yesterday, I very foolishly but fleetingly thought, you know what? Leicester are, you know, on their day, pretty good side. They can... They can turn it on sometimes. Mm. And then I thought, you idiot. And then Tottenham scored. And I was like, no, I can't do it. I cannot start looking, even at Liverpool, because like you, I'm scarred by that Man City game. Yeah, All I don't think I'll do, be able to watch that game. No, no, I won't watch it. Absolutely will not watch that game. Is it next Saturday? Saturday night. I think it's like 7.45. Really? Yeah, it's a late one on Saturday. Right. Well, I might go out on Saturday night and drink some <laughs> beers and, you know, check my phone every now and again and, and get my brother to send me updates because he'll, he'll be watching that. But I absolutely will not watch it. We just have to do what we can do. And all we can do is is win our games. And if we can beat Leeds, then onwards to the next one. Um, I don't think the 
The other two games are easy by any stretch of the imagination either Newcastle because Newcastle, away, have, yeah. Newcastle have, have been good uh, the sides under Eddie division. Howe. Yeah, and Everton may well be absolutely scrapping for their lives on the final day of the season. And um, while it might be funny to deal with that if, you know, you can relegate Frank Lampard knowing you've got top four secured, knowing that you're playing a team who are fighting for their Premier League survival on the last day to secure top four. Not sure I want that, you know? But all we can do is is win our games and, and focus on our games and hopefully um, some of the other teams can do us a favour along the way, so... Yeah. And, and go... I mean... It's interesting as fans, or certainly for myself as a fan, I look at the pick games like the Derby and for me, it's all about fear. It's all about, you know, what's the worst possible outcome mm. and how do we mitigate against it? Mm. But I hope amongst the players, they're thinking, what an opportunity to go there and, and win that game. You know, like, wouldn't that set the seal on the season? Yeah. Uh, I it's mean, been a long it, time. It has. Think, it has. we won at White Hart Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have a track record of, you know, winning the league there and stuff. So, uh, yeah. let's hope yeah, we can Yeah, I've had do some it. good days there before. It'll be my first visit to the Toilet Bowl. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, okay. I'm uh, curious to see what comes. But I, a game at a time, it's very boring to say, but that's all we can do, isn't that it? Is, you know? That is exactly it. That is all we can do. And uh, just, games. Yeah. just before we go, um, I know that Declan Rice annoyed pretty much every Arsenal fan yesterday with his reaction to Eddie and Kedia. I mean, we were laughing at him, weren't we? We were laughing at him. We were saying, look at you, you fucking idiot. But mm. big shout out to a couple of our Irish listeners who, of course, have a bit more skin in the game with this one, who, who said, uh, Niall O'Connor, as an Irishman, my feelings on Declan Rice are dubious. After the game, he cemented his status as a complete wanker. I was hoping some of our players would go full Martin Keown on him. And uh, Jay McCarthy, who's on Twitter, at jmac24128, said, How annoying and overrated is Rice. Bang average and a turncoat would step on his mother to keep his feet dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, listen, I, I can feel their anger burning through them. Um, annoying, certainly yesterday overrated perhaps a little but if he does want to come and play for us i am open to that prospect he is a good player no two yeah. ways about it but uh you know yeah. he's basically a big chelsea cunt in a west ham shirt as it stands yeah, yeah. as it stands i mean you know we could revisit that but uh, <laughs> i don't think it's gonna happen all right well look i think we should leave it there uh, yes let's why not we can all relax for at least six days or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Leads on Sunday. Uh, stick with us. We'll do some stuff on Patreon in midweek for you as ever. Thank you very much indeed uh, for uh, downloading, subscribing, listening. If you want to give us a review or a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of that, that will be uh, very much appreciated as well. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.